Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Before we get into anything, I want to well, I want to say good morning to everyone who's listening online right now, those of you that are listening on uh, Facebook Live or you're listening to the podcast, and I want to give a shout out to my friend Joelle. She is in Louisiana watching right now. This is her church, which is crazy to me. But anyways, um, I, I tell you this. We have an event coming up here in Fresno that uh, I am super excited about, and I, I am 100% behind it. And it's, it's called uh, Men, Men of Legacy. It's the Mighty Men's Movement, and it's going to be May 5th at the Save Mart Center. And um, I want you to imagine 10,000 dudes coming together. And uh, worshiping the Lord and um, kind of learning to grow into becoming godly men. That's a powerful thing. Now, I know this. I know I have a theory. I think the more um, men you put together, the lower the collective IQ is, right? If you have three guys with 100 each IQ, you get together, there's like a 280 IQ, I know. But here's what I also know. When men come together and worship the Lord... And hear from God's word. There's something really powerful that happens in our community. And I'm excited about it. So here's the thing. Um, as a church, Clovis Hills, we wanted to get behind it. So I was the very first. I said, I want to buy the first tickets. And we bought 400 tickets for it. Okay? So we want to see 400 men from Clovis Hills go. And here's the deal. The, w- the way we're going to do it, we had a generous donor who's going to subsidize it. And uh, it was a brilliant idea. They said, listen, I'll buy um, the, the tickets. You sell them at... 40 for two instead of 40 for one. The price of it is $40. He says, we'll, we'll give everyone two for one. That way they can bring a friend. So if you know someone that doesn't know the Lord or they haven't been to church in a while or, or they're, they're, they are church, bring your friend to it. It's going to be very powerful. One of the morning speakers, his name is Miles McPherson. He, he might be one of the best evangelists I've ever heard. The guy just slings the word. He's so good. So I want to encourage you to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm excited about it. So anyways. Um, last week was a really big holiday, wasn't it? Huge holiday. Very important holiday. April Fool's, right? No, I'm kidding. Easter it was the big holiday, and it was really great. Everyone was here. But it was April Fool's as well. And I am kind of a jokester, and I was not about to pull an April Fool's prank on the church on the holiest day of the year, Easter, because as much of a joker as I am, I still hold something sacred, Right? But I had to pull a joke on, on Easter Sunday, and um, my, my poor children, we, we, we pull jokes on each other all the time. We're scaring each other. And my youngest son, who is the most like me, and I feel bad for him in many ways, um, we're always trying to get each other. And, you know, sometimes I'll wake up at night, and he'll be standing over me with a pen being like, nothing to see here, Dad. <laughs> you know, it's a, we just have that relationship. So um, right before I walked on stage to come and preach, um, before, right before church started, um, I, I got him, and I told him that um, Sprinkles Donuts was doing a, a uh, promo on Instagram that whoever could eat a cream donut fastest would win donuts for a year. Um, so go ahead and watch this video. I'll show you what I did to him. Hey, guys. It's April Fool's Day, and my son Carson loves tricks and April Fool's. And he also loves cream donuts. So I'm going to put mayonnaise in a, in a donut and give it to him. So what we're going to do here is cut this donut open. 
So then we're gonna put a generous helping of mayonnaise on it like this. Just like that. That way he sees it. One more. Before you call CPS, he has sworn his revenge on me, and I'm sure when he gets me, I'll let you all know. So what I do know is that I am older, wiser, and I have more money than him, so I can hold him off for a while. So, um, you know, and th there, there, there's, there's something, um, you know, when, when we get together as a family, sometimes we have dinner, and it's just really fast, and we're done, and sometimes uh, we laugh. There's just funny things that happen at a family meal and um, among family, Right? And today, we're going to be sharing communion together as, as, as God's people, and that's a family meal. And um, this morning, yeah, that's good, it's good, it's good. Um, this morning, my, my, my friend Marty is going to read from the word of the Lord. It comes out of Matthew chapter 26. And I would love it if you're able to, if you would uh, rise in honor of God's word, and we'll read from the word of the Lord. Matthew 26, 17 through 30. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man I tell you. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. You may be seated. So, um... 
I want to give you a little background to this meal that, that Jesus was having. Uh, we celebrate it as Christians as communion. Um, but uh, I, I have a friend, his name is uh, Jason, and he's a rabbi. He's a, a Jewish messianic rabbi. And what that means is he's Jewish. He was born Jewish. He's very Jewish. But he believes in Jesus, uh, Jesus as Israel's Messiah, right? And he was telling me, the first time I met him, he was telling me his story, how he became a follower of Jesus. And he said, you know, it's funny, uh, growing up, I always thought Jesus was like a good Jewish boy who converted to Catholicism, and we all wrote him off. And, and, and many times that, that's um, what uh, a good Jew will think, is because you look at Jesus, you know, and we, all of our art tends to paint him like he's a European dude, and um, he's got blue eyes, and, you know, he's, you know, he's on all these Catholic icons and things like that. And, but J- Jason went on to tell me, he said, but I, I started reading the New Testament with someone, and I started just seeing just how Jewish Jesus was. And I was intrigued with it. And the more he looked into it, the more he realized, oh, my gosh, Jesus wasn't just some Jewish guy that became Catholic. Jesus was actually the Messiah of Israel, and he became a believer in, in Jesus. And um, I, actually, I, I went to a, a meal with him, a Passover meal, a couple weeks ago that he led. And uh, it was really powerful. But, but here's, here's the thing. The meal Jesus is having is a Passover meal. It's a meal that Jews have had for 3,500 years they've been doing this. Every year um, around the same time. And if you don't know what the Passover is, if, um, I'll, I'll just give you a little history lesson. About 3,500 years ago, the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. And they were in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. And while they were enslaved, um, God heard their, uh, their cry. They were being oppressed. They were being beaten, all that God finally heard their cry, and he raised up a prophet, Moses. And Moses goes to the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he actually knew the Pharaoh of Egypt. That's a whole other story. I'll do that another day. If you're curious, watch the Prince of Egypt. But anyways, or or read the Bible. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, I'll just watch the movie. Um, So he... He goes to Pharaoh, and he says, you got to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And every time he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no, God sends a plague on Egypt. He's punishing them, trying to break Pharaoh's back. And sometimes Pharaoh would, would change his mind, be like, okay, you can go. And then he'd say, no, I'm kidding. No, you can't go. And, and that happened over and over. And there was a plague of locusts. There was flies. There was frogs. The Nile turned to blood. Raider fans moved into their city. It was like all these different plagues, right? I'm kidding, Raider fans. Come on. So that's what Las Vegas is going to feel like, right, in two years. So anyways, here's the deal. i got to take my shot. My poor Chargers are the Los Angeles Chargers. It just feels dumb saying that. Anyways, so all these plagues, and, and Pharaoh keeps saying no. So finally, finally, God has had it, and he tells Moses, go to him and tell him this is it. And God tells the Israelites, listen. I'm going to send my angels, the angel of death. He's going to go over all of Egypt. And anyone that does not have the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of their, of their house, they will lose their firstborn son. I'm going to take all the firstborn. So uh, the Israelites proceed to kill a lamb. They eat the lamb. They put the blood on the, on the doorpost. God said, prepare some bread. Don't put yeast in it because you're going to leave. You're going to be set free tonight. There's not going to be time for any yeast. So you got some unleavened bread. you got some lamb. And uh, you're, you got to go. So if you know the story, right, angel comes over. Pharaoh goes, fine, get out. I'm sick of you guys. This is terrible. They, they leave. They, they go to leave Egypt. 
While they're leaving, Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his troops after him to bring him back. There's a million plus Jews. And they get to the edge of the Red Sea, at the peninsula of the Red Sea. And um, if you know the story, it, the Bible says that Moses hit his staff on the ground and God parted the waters. They walked across the sea. They stepped their foot on dry land in the Sinai Desert. And as the, the last Jew came across onto dry land, Pharaoh's soldiers are coming after him and whoosh, it washed him out, right? So, so that, that's the story of the Exodus. When they got onto that dry land, can you imagine being a slave your whole life and all of a sudden you have freedom? Remember your first day at college? Freedom! So th this is, it's like a William Wallace moment for them. They, they don't know what to do with their freedom. And, um, but God tells them, he goes, I know how humans are. You guys will forget what I've done. I've shown you this incredible act, this incredible miracle. And we always think like, oh, if God would just show me an incredible miracle, I would remember it. I want to let you know you wouldn't. You'd be like, oh, yeah, what have you done for me lately, God? That's, that's how humans work. So God knew that. So he said, listen, you need to have every year, I want you to have a meal. It's going to be called the Passover meal or the Seder. And you will commemorate what happened. You will commemorate the slavery how we set you free, how you roamed the desert, and how I made you my people. And every year for the last 3,500 years, Jews have come together and had this meal called the Seder. And Jesus was no different. He was having the Passover meal. So while he's, you know, he, he goes into Jerusalem, and I don't know if you know, but he, was, he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be killed. He knew all of that. And he, he was preparing for it. If you remember on Palm Sunday, right? He came riding in on a donkey. Remember how he got the donkey? He told his disciples, hey, go into the city. There's going to be a guy there with a donkey tied to a pole and take it. If the guy says, what are you doing? You just pull the Jedi mind trick on and say, the master needs your donkey. <laughs> they gave him the donkey. It wasn't really a Jedi mind trick. It was Jesus had planned this. So then Jesus had this meal set up that we call the Last Supper. And really, it's not the Last Supper. It was the first of many, many more. But he at it. And if you go, I, I take a group every other year to Israel, and I'll take you to Jerusalem, and we'll go to the actual place where Jesus had his Last Supper. It was um, right outside the gates of Jerusalem um, in the city of David. And you'll go, and you'll see where it's at. And it's kind of excavated ruins, but you'll, you'll see. And then you'll, you'll actually be able to kind of walk out of it, and you'll look, and you'll see a little trail down the hill, down through the... Um, through the valley, you'll see the trail that Jesus walked right over the Garden of Gethsemane. And it, it's, it almost makes this whole story pop out in 3D when you see it. So he has this meal there. But he changes it up. And he offers it to a whole new group of people. See, the, the Passover was just for those who were in the family of God, the Jews. Um, so... I want to talk to you, number one in your outline, if you want to fill it out, the importance of family. See, um, I don't know if you know this, but to be Jewish, um, there's two ways you could be Jewish back in the day. You were either born a Jew, or you could actually become a Jew. I, didn't, I don't know if you know that. Um, there's a great story in um, the Old Testament of um, Jacob... 
And Jacob had all these kids, and they were living in Egypt at the time, and they're all, the, Joseph was one of them. If you remember Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, that story, right? Joseph's one of them, and they're all there, and Jacob is about to die, and Jacob pulls in all his family, and he's blessing them, right? And then Joseph had two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they were both um, part Jewish, part um, Egyptian. They were Arabs, okay, because his wife was an Arab, um, and Joseph calls for them, and he says, bring them over to me. And he puts his hands on them, and he blesses them. And what he was saying is, you are now Israel. You are now part of us. You are now part of God's people. Right? He was bringing them in. Okay? Here's what I want you to understand. At this, this meal, Jesus was now opening the gates for all of us to come in and dine with the family. But it's in a different way. So if you, if, if you look at the scripture, 26, 17 through 19. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to go for preparations for the Passover? He replied, go into the city, a certain man, and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed and prepared the Passover. So they're at the Passover meal now. And it doesn't look like the Last Supper picture that, that you know, they painted in the Renaissance where it's just a big long table and they're all sitting in chairs and... Jesus is like, hello. You know, it's not that kind of thing. He's in like the yoga pose. It's, that's not what it is, okay? Usually they reclined on the ground. There's pillows all over the ground. The table's about that high off the ground. And Jesus is presiding over this, the Passover meal. So the, the, there's always a person. Sometimes it's a couple, but usually there, there's a person that presides over the meal. And he's called an Abba or the Papa, okay? So Jesus was the, the, the Papa of the meal. Today, I am presiding over this meal, so I like it when you call me Big Papa, okay? I'm only 5'8", but there's, you know. So, so, so he's, he's there, and he, he's sharing this meal with those closest to him, the friend, friends and family. And here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Is if you look at his friends and family, kind of the, the family unit he had at this meal, they came from every walk of life, didn't they? You had the, the Marys, who were, one of them was, she got around, to say the least, I want to keep it PG. You had tax collectors, Matthew, you had sinners, you had fishermen, foul mouth, kind of a rough group. And doesn't that say something about Jesus' family and who he accepts? See, in church sometimes it's really easy for us to look down on someone who's different. At this church, I mean, especially this service, this is a service. We have lots of sinners in this service, right? <laughs> so you look down on the holy people, I know. But anyways, I, 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 need, I, need, I need you to under, under, understand something, though. Like, he, he brought, brought them in. And this is the same thing. Um, this meal that we take, communion, is for Christians only. You need to understand that. Every tradition of Christianity has always read the scripture this way, that communion was for someone who believes in Jesus Christ, believes that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and they've confessed it. And... Um, it was, and, and the truth of, truth of it is, this is what the scripture says, that if you are a believer in Jesus, you are now part of God's family. You've been adopted in. If you're still on the fence and you don't know, well, you're, 
you're not, you're on the fence. You don't know. That, that's literally how it works. But when you make that public profession of faith, that's when you say, no, I'm in. I'm part of the family now. Those are my adoption papers. I'm all in. Or, um, you know, b- back in the day, b- before you could take communion in, in the first century, one of the things they made you do is they made you get baptized, right? And that baptism, we have a baptismal over there. Baptism is one way that it's kind of like your coming out party. That you come out and you say, no, no, I belong to the Jesus tribe now. I'm coming out, right? That, that's what baptism is. That you, you buried your old self and you came out part of the Jesus tribe. Right? So, so last week, I love it when people come to Jesus. I don't know if you know, but 24 people gave their life to Christ for the first time last Sunday on Easter. And that's an amazing thing. And they're now in the family of God. They're part of what we call the church. Now, now Clovis Hills is the church, but it's lowercase c. There's an uppercase c, which is the church. Who's the church? You guys are the church. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're part of the corporate body of the church all around the world. I remember as a, um, you, you know, um, when you're on a plane and someone asks you what you do, it's, it many times becomes a really awkward moment when I have to tell them I'm a pastor. You know, I, I was on a plane, we were, we, were fly, we were flying to the Middle East, and I'm talking to this person, and they ask me, oh, what do you do for a living? And I, just for once, I didn't want to say I was a pastor. Because a lot of times you say that, then they look at you like I, you just said, oh, I'm a cannibal and I'm really hungry. <laughs> so I didn't lie. I just mixed it up. I said, oh, well, I lead spiritual communities. Really? What are these? And I, I said, oh, well, they're called the ecclesia. That's Greek for church. <laughs> well, what do you do at these? I go, oh, well, we, you know, we pray and we, we read the scriptures and we... Um, you know, we help people discover who they were created to be and, and, and become that. And, you know, we, we meet usually once a week corporately, and then we meet in little groups all over the city. And, um, and she's like, really? Do you have lots of, lots of these? And I said, oh, we're everywhere. <laughs> I couldn't carry it on after a while. I was like, actually, I'm a pastor. <laughs> You know, um, but, but, but here, here's the thing. You, when you become a believer, when they, when they decide to become believers in Jesus, they became part of God's family. And, and what we're going to do today is something that I want to encourage you. If you don't know for sure that you are part of God's family, if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're not sure, I want to encourage you at some point today that you ask Christ into your heart and become a believer in Jesus. Because it'll be the greatest decision you ever made. So... Um, the, the other thing that happens, right, is that group of people now is they, they will at some point now in their spirituality, their baby Christians, they're going to get baptized because that's kind of their coming out, right? And then the next thing I always encourage people to do is if you, to become part of a, a, a body of Christ is that you want to get in a growth group. As a matter of fact, um, this week and next week we have growth group signups. I think there's 16 brand new growth groups that are starting right now. And all 16 of them, and we have about 80 of them meet, so... Um, but all 16 of these are going to be studying the same stuff that we study every Sunday, the same scripture that we study every Sunday. And here's the good news of that, because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking like, well, I don't know if I could get in a growth group. Like, I don't even, like, I've, I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know where Habakkuk is. Is that really a, a book in the Bible? Like, someone told me that my favorite book was First Hesitations. And, um, 
And, and I totally understand that. And the beauty of the, these kind of sermon-based groups is that you can go to a group, and even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, if you listen to the sermon on the podcast or you came on a Sunday morning, you have something to contribute. And here's the cool part about being in one of those groups. If you're in one for more than, more than a, a couple months, here's what happens. You're no longer the newbie. There's always new people joining them, and you're further along the line, and you can help that newbie come along the line, and God starts using you in your life. And there's always people in the group that are further down the line than you. I have a men's group on Tuesday morning. There's guys at my table who, you know, they, I mean, they've got chunks of food older than me in their teeth. And um, they're wise men that have been through life, and they teach me things as we go. So I, I encourage you to be part of God's family. You, you should get in a growth group too. See, um, the church used to use words like membership. And, um, but that's kind of a tainted word now. Membership. I'm a member at GB3. I want you to think about that. And do you know what that means? It means I paid George a lot of money. And occasionally I visit his gym. And nothing has changed. Okay? Um, you can be a member at a country club. You can be a, a, a member of, I'm going to date myself, the record of the month club. Remember those old people? Okay? Kids, they used to have music on little round things, actually plastic things too. So anyways, um, you can be members of all kinds of things. But did you know the word membership, the word member is first used in scripture. It's a biblical word. Because it was referring to when you become a believer in Jesus, you become a member of Christ's body, part of his body, organically connected to the corporate body of Christ. And when you remove yourself from the body, you don't exist spiritually apart from the body. If I remove this finger, in a couple days it turns black and dies. Maybe sooner, who knows, okay? If I remove my leg, it dies. And I'm weaker for it. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ, is if you remove yourself from the body of Christ, the body gets weaker without you. And you are incredibly spiritually weak without it. And I know this, um, in this room, some of you have been um, hurt by the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, there's a group of you um, that are, a large group of you that, that are in our, our church, and um, you call your, your, you're from another church that had some big problems, and it's pretty funny. I, I met someone, they're like, yeah, I'm a refugee from that church, and I think that's a funny term, but I want you to know something. Um, if you're here, we love you, and we want you to be part of our family, so you don't have to call yourself a refugee, you, okay? If you're still kicking the tires, checking us out, I get that too, though. So, so here's the thing. It, it was, it was a, a family meal. It was the importance of his family. So the, the next thing, number two, I need to talk to you about the power of, of, of his death. Because when we take this bread and we take this cup, we're, we're actually commemorating his death. Last week was Easter. We commemorate that he was risen. But in communion, we commemorate his death. And um, do you ever think of how Jesus died? Do you ever think of how we, we, we as Christians started using the cross as, as a symbol for um, who, who we are and how it's this, this symbol of devotion and love. And, you know, when you see a cross, like, you, you think good things many times. Uh, it, it's fascinating to me because if, if you size up how Jesus died compared to even some of the other great Christians in the world or the other religious leaders of other religions. You know, if you think about it, Moses was the leader of, 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 um, of Judaism, really. He's like the main prophet of Judaism. 
Moses dies at 120 years old. His leadership was strong. He died nobly on Mount Nebo overlooking the promised land. Um, he had a successor, a strong successor in, in, in Jacob. And, and they, you know, when Moses died, boom, they went in. They took the promised land that God had promised. And so you know, he's this, this epic figure that died this, this epic death. And then you have Muhammad, the, 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 the prophet of Islam, right? And he died, he was 67 years old. He died in the loving arms of one of his wives. There was devotees around. It was a very noble thing. It was, it was you know, they, they write that it was a beautiful thing. Um, you have Confucius. Confucius dies at uh, 76 years old, I believe. And um, he had been exiled from his hometown. His family and his, home, and his hometown had kicked him out. Never to come back again. But at the end of his life, he's welcomed back into his hometown. They, they, they receive him with open arms. And there he is with all his friends, his family, and devotees. And it's this be- his death is this beautiful story of, of how he's accepted and, 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 and viewed as this great religious figure now. And then, then you have Buddha who died at 80. And he's surrounded by all his devotees. And, and, and it's, it's a noble death. And he, he went so peacefully. And then you have Jesus. 33 years old. The night before he dies, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God, can there be another way? He's crying. He's sweating blood. He's tears or blood. The early church fathers didn't know what to do with that scripture. Um, They didn't have the science yet that we have. We now know that's an actual medical condition that happens to some people during extreme stress. He gets arrested. He's nailed to a torture device naked. His friends, his disciples, his devotees all have deserted him. As he's hanging on the cross, I want you to think about this. There have been many other Christians. Uh, One of the great reformers, uh, John Huss, he was tied to a stake and burned at the stake. And as they burned him at the stake, you know what he did? They said he sang hymns. Died with courage. So we hear so many stories of Christians dying with courage. Do you know what one of Jesus' last words on the cross was? Eloi, Eloi, Lamatini, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But for some reason, Jesus dies disgracefully like that. What would make the earliest Christians? defiantly use the cross as their symbol. See, they knew something, that there was power in his death. And if you know why Jesus was that way going to the cross, I need to explain something to you. You know, when John Huss or some of the other great Christians went to their death, they knew the promise of Scripture. They knew that God would be with them, that Christ would be with them wherever they go, even to the end of the age. And they went to their death knowing that, and God was with them. And that was the beauty of it. And that's why they found that strength. But Jesus, you have to understand this. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is God in human flesh. Right? He's the Son of God. And for all eternity, he has been inextricably connected to the Father and to the Spirit. And it's been the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit for all of the cosmos and before the cosmos. He was there. He was the word in the beginning. We sing that all the time. And and here's what I I want you to understand. Jesus, when he left that last meal, he knew that for the first time in the history of all the cosmos, 
that he would be completely separated from his father. And it terrified him. See, because the Bible is really clear. That terror he had is actually for us. See, we, every one of us, are separated from God by our sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That's spiritual separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. And as he went to that cross, and he suffered, he went thinking of you. Because he knew, and the early Christians knew. I mean, Cicero said, you know, first, first century uh, Roman philosopher, he had said that the cross is a four-letter word. But somehow these Christians cling to this thing. You know, it, it, the, the cross is the equivalent. Imagine if we all wore little electric chairs around our neck. Some of you would be like, death row records, what's up, Snoop? Anyways, you, you have to understand, this, the death of Jesus meant something, and it means something because there's power in it, because what he did on the cross is he took your place. The separation from God that you and I should have, he took it for us. And that's why he went in terror, but he went anyways. So there, there, there's power in his death. And I, I want you to understand something. When he held the bread up at that meal, he said, this is my body broken for you. And I want you to know, in the Passover meal, it was called the bread of affliction. And you would take the bread, and you would bless it, you would pray over it, and then you would break it, and then you would give it to everyone. And it was to remind everyone of the affliction that all the Israelites went through, right? Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross, and he's about to be broken. And I want you to fathom something for a moment. See, Jesus, he, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, he gave the bread. But it's the very thing God did for you. Did you know that God blessed Jesus? When Jesus got baptized, by the way, if there's no other reason that you should get baptized the way Jesus did, like, he did it. He didn't need to get baptized. He did it as an act of obedience to God. When Jesus got baptized, you know what happened? He came out of the water. You know what God said? He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God blessed him. So he came out of the water of the Jordan River and God blessed him. He marched triumphantly into Jerusalem. They nailed him to a cross and God broke him. He rose from the grave on an Easter Sunday and God gave him for any who would take him. See, that leads me to my, my last point. Is Here's the deal. If Jesus was blessed, broken, and given, you have to come get it. He said, I'm here. If you would receive me, the Bible says in John, uh, John 1, 12, but as many as received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, right? So some of us today, you share in the bread of affliction, right? You feel broken. There's things in your life that are, people have hurt you. They've done things terrible to you. There's things you've done to yourself. And there's brokenness in your life. I want you to know something about God's story for your life. Is God is super good at taking broken things 
and turning them into something new and making it beautiful. He's really good at taking the bread of affliction and turning it into the bread of blessing. But you have to come and get it. And Jesus has said, I'm here. If you'll receive me, I'll take it. I'll take you. So here's the deal. In church, um, churches, and I'm guilty of it, I'm a pastor, we are super good at motivating people with guilt and shame. Like we're professionals at it. it it's almost like they taught it to us in graduate school. They don't. I, I think our, all our mothers taught it to us. Anyway, so, um, you know, and, and what, what happens is, is people carry around, if you're a Christian, you carry around this inordinate amount of guilt and shame that like I'm not good enough. I, I'm not holy enough, I'm not righteous enough, and sometimes they come to church and they, they feel like God, you know, the whole place is going to burn down because they walked in, and I want you to know something. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible is really clear that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. God's not judging you. He's not mad at you, and, and this meal, no matter how guilty you feel, is for you even more so than the, the people that have seemed to have their life all put together. As a matter of fact, if you have some brokenness in your life right now, do me a favor. J just, a, just, as a, just to show some people, raise your hand if you have some brokenness and sin in your life right now. Look around. Some are like, whoa, that dude that rolled in in the Mercedes? <laughs> that lady with the Gucci bag? That guy with the... 44-pound King James Ryrie Bible? Yeah, that's all of us. And this meal is for you. I remember I was pastor at Generation Church, and you want to underscore me? There you go. <laughs> Here's the deal. I was pastor at Generation Church in Oceanside, and um, one Sunday we were taking communion, and there was a person I knew, and I knew they were a Christian. They had accepted Christ. And they were up near the front, and they were crying, and everyone was coming to get communion. They weren't getting communion. And I could tell they were carrying something in that room that day, some weight, some guilt, some shame, something, you know, I don't know what it was. And they're just crying. And I remember this guy, his name is Don. He's a salty old Marine, retired Marine. And he brings it to the person, brings the cup, brings the juice. And he sits down next to him and he goes, take it. Like a Marine would, orders him. And they're like, no, I can't, I can't. And then I, I physically hear him while the band's playing. He goes, take it! <laughs> and the person shakes their head. He puts his arm around him. And he goes, it's for you. It's especially for you. And the dude took it. And this old crusty Marine put his arm around him and just sat next to him for the rest of the service and loved him. So today we're going to take communion. Okay? And churches do it different everywhere, and I get that. Jesus was very generic, and he said how to do it. He just said do it. Okay? So there's all kinds of methods. The way we do it here, it's a little chaotic. There's a lot of you, but we'll, we'll, we'll take our time and we'll do it. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless the bread and, and the cup, and the band's going to play some music. And I, I want you to... Um, as you feel led while the band's playing, you just get up whenever you want and you come forward and take, the, take it. Don't eat it yet. Go back to your seat and then we'll all take it together as a family, okay? 
and it's going to take a while. Just be patient with everyone. Um, if you are, if you can't get down the steps down here to get it, we'll also, um, when everyone's done, we'll have someone walking up and down the aisles to, to give it to you too, or you can have your neighbor bring it to you, however you want. Um, but I want, I want to encourage you, if you're not a believer, if you're, you haven't crossed the line of faith, first and foremost, if you're not sure, I'm going to help you be sure in a moment. But maybe you're like, I'm not sure and I don't want to yet. That's totally cool. We get that. You're, you're exploring. I believe God will show himself to you. But, but I would ask you to do this. This is an event, a holy event for Christians. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. And I would ask you to, to respect this and just watch. You don't need to come forward and take it. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, no way. Everyone's going to know I didn't take communion. It doesn't work that way here because there's so many people coming up and going. Like, no one knows who's got it and who doesn't. And I promise you, we don't have, like, the, the Jesus security going, seat 47A, we have a pagan, converge and convert. They come down from the rafters and, like, beat you with Bibles. I promise you that's not going to happen here. Matter of fact, everyone's going to be like, ah, whatever. But if you're not sure if you're a believer in Jesus or not, you can be. And what you do is you just open your heart and you admit, Jesus, my sin has separated me from you and I'm stepping across the line of faith. I believe that you died for my sins and I'm inviting you into my life to forgive me of my sins. I'm laying down my way and I wanna learn your way and live your way. Let's pray.